Hello guys, welcome back to another episode of the 6 Minutes Podcast. Today this is going to be kind of different episode than what we're usually used to. Um, I know you guys are usually used to like the history episodes and whatever. Um, not whatever. <laughs> usually like relationship advice or just me talking about nothing in particular. Uh, today though, I actually had a cool little idea because I am part of this community that's known as Quora and you know if you guys know about this it's basically like a huge I would say forum discussion board type of thing where people ask questions and these questions get answered by people who are um, not pros in the field I would say who are knowledgeable in um, whatever question is being asked basically how it works is when you first sign up you get a list of um categories of things that you're interested in basically and then based on what you select and you can select more after you've signed up but like when you first sign up um you have options to select what you're interested in um things you know a lot about and then you get questions based off of that so i really love this website because you get to like learn cool new things and you know I have to admit, when I was in high school and um, I needed help with some of my assignments, I did use this website quite a bit, and then I eventually fell off and I came back on because, you know, it's actually quite interesting. You learn a lot of new things, you learn a lot of different perspectives um, that people have on um, different, like a wide range of topics, and uh, so what I'm going to be doing this today is to basically answer some of the questions that are on my feed and i use this thing quite a bit because i mean who doesn't love like a good debate once in a while you know (laughs) um but yeah so i'm gonna get right into it okay so the first question that actually popped up on my feed it was just right here too um was how open should two people be in a relationship okay This answer, I mean, there's no simple, like, one, there's no one simple answer because different people will see it differently, but I always say, like, communication is the key to any relationship. If you don't have that, then you don't have anything. Two people that could communicate in a relationship openly, like, that's the best thing you could have, um, to make something like last and to make something worthwhile because if you can communicate openly with your partner and just like be out there and be honest with them about everything and that's like the best thing ever you know what i mean like imagine being with a partner who's so honest with you to the point where you don't feel like insecure you don't feel like um unconfident in being with them because you don't know what they're doing when you're not around with them and that's how i i don't know like the way i see relationships is like when you um are with somebody you shouldn't have to be around them 24 7 you know what i mean it should be one of those things where, you know, you can trust to not be around them and then trust that they're not going to do anything to hurt you or go behind your back and do something hurtful, you know? Um, that's how I feel. Those are my two cents on that specific matter. Now, different people will see this differently. Like, some people will say, well, you know, I'm allowed to have my privacy. I'm allowed to have my space and I shouldn't have to tell my partner every single thing. I see that. I see that point of view because in general i'm a very reserved and private person myself so i see where people are coming from but at the same time i do feel like it's healthy to communicate 
to people how you feel, what you feel, when you feel it, um, about every situation. You know what I mean? I'm not saying like go and pick fights with your partner. No, I'm just saying like you do have to communicate and be open with them if you want the relationship to work because life is very long, you know, and I don't know about you guys, but when I look for a partner, I look for somebody that, you know, I could potentially be spending my life with. Not potentially, but I will probably be spending my life with, you know? Like, I'm not looking for short-term partners. If you are, that's perfectly fine. I'm not judging you, but I'm just saying in general. When you're in a relationship with somebody for uh, three, four, five years even, I'm not saying, like, you know, any any given time... Um, in general like a lot of people are in relationships because they see a future with somebody right and i'm just gonna be very blunt right now like life is long (laughs) a lot of people say life is short no life is very long so can you imagine like being with a person who doesn't talk to you who's very closed off about everything for 80 years of your life for 70 years of your life like that's like torture you know what i mean um and that relationship will more than likely not last a long time because you need a lot of communication you need to be able to talk about everything and i know you guys may see like your grandparents in relationships in relationships being married for like 50 60 years 70 years even that's because they were able to openly communicate with one another and be so brutally honest that you know um there's no secrets between them or anything like that and when you have something like that i think honestly like that's the best thing you can have with somebody is like a relationship where you don't feel afraid to come out and say anything that is on your mind um nowadays with a lot of people that's difficult to do because people get triggered about virtually everything nowadays but you know um you do have to try and uh communicate as best as you can with your partner i think that's the only way to make a relationship long lasting um if you're looking for a short term that's great don't communicate with your partner be reserved but i think honestly if you want anything to work and it's not even just about like you know being in an intimate relationship this is like with everyone in your life you know if you're more open with people in general like you'll have better relationships with people so that's just the way i feel about that specific question and i'm not going to get too far into it and get too deep because there's other questions to answer and let me see okay no that's just somebody asking about their views on cora Okay, hold on. Where's my feed? I have weird questions sometimes too. Like, how can I learn Armenian easily as a Kurd? Um, I'm not Armenian, so I don't know what to tell you. Um, What are some... Oh, here's a good one. Because for me, I used to be a daycare teacher. So I worked with kids from the ages of 0 to 12. So yes i love it okay um so what are some wonderful handmade things you can create with your kids um i mean virtually anything that i did in my classroom was handmade anyway by my kids and the way i did it is like whatever i saw they were interested in the most like if we are reading a book about like dinosaurs or something and they were really interested in that like everything in the classroom would have to do with dinosaurs like from 
um, science to the math to the sensory activity to building to drama everything would have to do with uh, dinosaurs uh, to books and everything like that and just a little slide blurb with me i never did timeouts with my kids uh, not because i don't believe in it or i don't believe kids should get um should get i guess quote-unquote punishment i don't i that's for my lack of better words i don't i can't find another word to best describe it right now um but that's because i think that if you are going to go with something like timeout you're not going to make it seem like it's a punishment. You have to make it seem like it's a learning opportunity, right? Um, so anytime my kids were doing something wrong in the classroom, I would put them in the what I called the quiet area and had them read a book while they reflected on what they did to another student. And it worked. A lot of the time, it worked. And when I saw that they were ready to come out, I would like speak to them about what they did. We would talk to the other kid that... Um, whatever was done to like let's say one of my kids bit another kid for whatever reason or they're being rude to another kid i had them think about it in a quiet area while they were reading a book they had time to calm down they'll come back when they were ready to me and they would say miss sarah you know i want to i want to go play again we would talk about what happened we'd bring the other kid in there we would have a discussion uh with them as well and how it made them feel and then the other child uh both children would go on their way to play again I never saw uh, punishment as a solution, like making them sit in the corner quiet, doing nothing. I always saw it as um, put them in the quiet area, let them reflect on what they did, let them calm down with something productive, like reading a book, and then, you know, we can come back and talk about it after they're feeling more calm. Um, And it worked a lot of the time. Um, I had no idea where I was going with that. no uh i think i know um basically everything in the classroom had to do with dinosaurs if they were interested in that right so even in the quiet area that's what i would put like um like dinosaur books let's say whatever if they were interested in like flowers and gardening and things like that same thing um so what are some hand wonderful handmade things you can create with your kids um i had them create one time some um some jello portraits like they dipped their hands in jello and then they made little uh art pieces with jello and then we sprinkled them with like all kinds of things that they wanted to decorate their pieces with and it was awesome like it looked absolutely amazing when i suck it up because the jello crystallizes a little bit um when i stuck it up around the walls it looked like there was like sparkly stuff on it when really we didn't really put anything else on it except for the jello it was awesome like the kids loved it um some other awesome hands-on things we've made is uh, we created um like rainbow toast uh, but the kids got to draw on their toast like they got to paint uh pictures on their toast and the way i did this was take a little bit of food coloring and then some milk and then they would paint their toast and then we would uh, let the toast sit for a little bit and uh, the kids would then eat it it was awesome the kids loved that idea and then they also got to decorate their toast with whatever they wanted whatever um things they wanted to put on it and eat it with it was awesome they absolutely loved it um also things we've done is bake cookies and the kids have gotten to decorate the cookies with whatever they wanted or um let's say like we were going by the theme of the dinosaurs i would take quote-unquote like fake dinosaur eggs um like you know leftover easter eggs and let the kids decorate them and paint them and things like that 
um just things like that where they can be creative other things we've done is create like a whole set where kids have gotten to paint like um one time they were interested in uh, cooking in my classroom like they love cooking and then you know uh, we were reading a book that had a pizza restaurant in it and the kids wanted to create a pizza restaurant so like we painted like a whole brick wall together uh, for them to put in their drama center and then we also painted a pizza with all kinds of toppings together and the kids love that because they were part of the process for creating something for their own um, classroom right um, anytime they get to do that they absolutely love it and they're very engaged in that kind of stuff so that's some of the things that I've done with my kids um, and they always love things like that whenever you involve them in anything um, they love it so definitely I do recommend if your kid loves something um, try to engage them in the process of creating things that you know they actually love like uh, if they want to bake and cook let them let them be involved in the process let them like do something for you obviously you're not going to let them touch anything that's too hot or anything that's sharp or anything like that but you know you can let them mix like ingredients and things like that that's fine um how is technology changing the culture of albania uh, i would say the same way is changing um, the culture in North America. Albania is already very Americanized and not Americanized. It's Westernized, I would say. Um, so it's very heavily, the culture there is very heavily influenced by Western culture. So I would say it's technology is changing it just the same as it is uh, changing uh, North America, although not as much because Albanians were not exposed to um, the internet as early as we were over here. But you know, I still think that um, I still think it's having the same effect on people. People are obsessed with like taking selfies, and they'll stop in the middle of the street and start taking their selfies for Instagram and you know things like that. So I feel like it's definitely having the same effect. Um, people will sit i think in albania though it might be a little bit worse actually because people actually like go to cafes just to get wi-fi and uh so they can like go on their instagram or their facebook and then they'll be around their friends but they won't really be talking to their friends so just be on the phone or just talking about whatever is going on in their social media so yeah that's the way it's affecting culture in albania um now i just want to uh, put in there that technology is not always the worst thing that can happen you know um technology really does have some good aspects to it i just feel like you need a balance um you need to balance technology and then actually like paying attention to your surroundings and the people that you're around i feel like that's really important as well all right next question who did you look up to as a child besides your parent do you still look up to them today how do they change who did i look up to as a child um probably my grandparents because my grandparents were some of the most supportive people in my life they still are um i absolutely love them to death um like i think specifically my grandfather was somebody i really looked up to the way he just some uh, background context like my grandfather was a basketball coach so he trained a lot of like women to play basketball and things like that and then um we would go on excursions together with his team uh to like the beach to wherever 
they were playing we would have a lot of fun times but they would also like put in a lot of work but just the way that he treated them like his own daughters and the way he protected them and i still remember this one situation on the beach where one of his girls were was uh, going off with some guy and he was like trying to protect her he went up to her and said who is this or whatever and then he was like interrogating the guy i thought it was the most hilarious thing because i was just a kid but like um honestly like the way he treated every one of those girls on his team like his daughters that was just like refreshing to me i absolutely um looked up to him for that he was a very strong person up until his last day um he was like doing push-ups and he was still like in front of the mirror getting himself ready and uh making himself look polished so that's the one person i do say like i look up to the most just his perseverance his determination his kindness his generosity um i I don't know it's just overwhelming to me and uh it's it's been difficult to not have him around but you know honestly like he was uh one of my most i would say influential figures in my life he was like a second father to me very much all right let's see some other questions How was the lawyer consulted in ancient Rome and how were they edu- how were they educated? Okay, I just want to say on this, um, consulted, you know, basically it wasn't like the same system they have today. We don't hire a lawyer or anything like that. Um, but the way they were educated was basically um, they were they were educated on the on like philosophy on mathematics and things like that um somewhat on the legal system and politics but i think the more heavier um the more heavier courses people had to take were basically in liberal arts it was just a general kind of thing it was like history um some politics but it was more philosophy and it was more mathematics and things like that um that's how they were educated back then i think that's how everyone was educated back then who was an uh, influential figure especially lawyers doctors uh teachers um virtually everyone was educated in the liberal arts and we don't know it's not as today like we know them but it's uh somewhat rhetoric um philosophy rhetoric being like yeah philosophy uh, mathematics some history some politics you know a little mix of everything i would say um let's see i'm just looking for some uh some good ones here okay what is the difference between salsa, bachata, and merengue? I would say salsa is more like... I mean, they're all very... With the exception of merengue, though. Um, they're all very intimate. Um, salsa is more like high energy. It can be very romantic or it can be very like high energy just to get movement, you know? Bachata, I would say, is very intimate. Um, bachata was actually a dance that was not allowed to be danced for a long time um until 
President Trujillo in Dominican Republic ended up passing away, and then people were able to dance it in public. But bachata was very sensual. It was more, if you think of like cabaret nowadays, um, or cabaret from the 1950s rather, uh, that's how bachata was seen. It was seen as a dance of like um, temptation and. This is not what I think about it, but it was seen as a dance of like prostitutes and things like that. So it was not very. People were not very fond of it. Um, but bachata is definitely more sensual. It's definitely seen as more intimate. It can be or it cannot be. I mean, two friends can dance bachata. Family members can dance bachata together. So it's not necessarily something intimate, but it does have a heavy representation of like. Um, African, I would say, not African, um, but there was, yeah, I would say it has a lot of uh, representation from the African cultures in the Caribbean, um, but it was also seen as a dance that was for mainly poor people i would guess um but nowadays it's something that's like for everyone i mean you have prince royce romeo santos aventura you have toby love you have so many artists that just do bachata and it's like one of the most popular genres in the latin music industry i would say but um if there was a difference i would say salsa is more like uh, afro beats mixed into some latin uh instrumentals and then merengue is more high energy it's very active um it's like a fun it's really fun dance to dance actually if people say it's like walking i don't really think it's like walking can be a little bit more complex than that depending on like who you're dancing it with but i think merengue is definitely one of the more high energy ones it's just a fun dance to do fun music to listen to as well it's very high energy um but salsa and bachata i definitely think that um those are more sensual dances it's like the tango it's very it's like sex on the dance floor virtually um even though we just said bachata can be for anyone to dance to um you can even dance it with your family members it's generally seen as something that is more intimate um let's see why can no one create another tv show like the twilight i mean because you don't have rudd sterling you know if you think about it even in the newer episodes of the twilight zone um i'm talking about episodes that were from like 1980s 1970 nobody can recreate what rod sterling did um the years that he was on the show like were amazing and rod sterling like had a vision for it and everything like that um and once he left i thought the show is not as interesting or as good anymore i think the most interesting factor was like how similar the world was to his time and we're talking about like 1950s to i would say mid 1960s because i think the show went into like 1965 to i think maybe 1969 but you know um i think definitely after like that it got less interesting and i still to this day i've tried to get into the new episodes um from the 1980s and onwards and i cannot because nobody can recreate what he did in uh those early years of the show in the original twilight zone 
and i don't think even with the second one that i hear is coming out soon on uh, netflix and hulu and things like that um i don't think anybody can recreate what he did um i think honestly like i would prefer the black and white version to just be on netflix or on those i almost don't even want a second one because i don't really know what to uh, i'm kind of scared about what to expect not scared but you know like i'm kind of nervous that it's gonna like ruin the integrity of uh what rod sterling created now here's the thing um black mirror is very similar to the twilight zone it's a modern it's a modern take on the twilight zone and when i first saw black mirror i was like oh my god i love this because i'm i'm obsessed with the twilight zone um the original twilight zone for me was like i think i've watched all seasons literally five or six times and I know them by heart. Um, but Black Mirror, to me, when I first saw the first episode, I was, like, so excited. Because I'm like, okay, this is going to be exactly like the original Twilight Zone. That's what it reminds me of. Except with all the woes of modern society and modernity and things like that. I think what's interesting for me about the original Twilight Zone was that it touched on things that I personally did not experience so I get to see them through a different lens and for me studying history and studying like uh, North American social thought and how it changed from I would say Victorian era to um, 1980 is very interesting because I didn't get to experience that part of history and so to be able to see it and relive it through television and through popular media from that time is very exciting but um it's also exciting when somebody from the modern era that you're living in specifically can recreate that and can um, do something that nobody else has ever done before. And Black Mirror, I would say, honestly, just topped everything. I don't think anything can top Black Mirror right now. So I would say, technically, they did create another TV show like The Twilight Zone, but I don't think anything can top the twilight zone ever like black mirror is great and i love it and it's a top thing right now for me like i would like if there was another season like i would watch it all right now in one sitting but um honestly i don't think anybody can recreate another twilight zone um that's just my two cents on that but black mirror is amazing if you guys have not seen it i definitely recommend you do it's exactly like the twilight zone but it's more modern um and i'm kind of like contradicting myself by saying uh watch black mirror because it's like twilight zone but i just feel like even with black mirror i would still prefer the original twilight zone over black mirror here we go here's the question if you had to explain the difference between the twilight zone outer limits and black mirror how would you do it Ooh, i don't think i can explain the difference because i think they're all similar in the sense that they all present woes within a specific society within a spe- specific historical moment in time right twilight zone and outer limits are more like um presenting people's fears from 1950s to i would say 1960s maybe 1970 um 
and really playing on those fears really playing on what was wrong with society back then politically um i think this is really interesting black mirror is just a more modern version of both of those black mirror plays on the fact that technology is having on people today um now who's to say that didn't happen in 1950 or 60 i think a lot of um ideas that were presented in the show like a lot of themes that are recurring in the show in uh black not in black mirror in um, twilight zone and the outer limits are things like you know technology taking over um people being isolated loneliness these are ideas also in black the play on black mirror but black mirror is more like uh, i would say technology based and focused more on the things that we deal with today like people being so obsessed with uh, being liked people being so obsessed with the views and uh, people being so obsessed with their image to the point where it just like it creates a vicious cycle for them that they live in Um, the idea that like San Junipero for example the idea that um, you know there's a different side to death and you can choose where you want to go you know Um, I think those are really interesting ideas to play on. I mean, there's Black Mirror, like I said, is just more of a modern representation of all the things happening within our society, whereas the only difference between Outer Limits and Twilight Zone was that it was in a different uh, period of time. Of course, they they had different fears, um, different uh, political values, beliefs, and things like that. Um... Do you remember watching the original Twilight Zone series when it first aired? If so, are there any memories that you'd be willing to share about your reaction to the show? Um, I didn't get to watch it when it first aired because I'm born in 1992. So unfortunately, I didn't get to enjoy that. My parents, though, um, were born more in that era. So I think they would have gone to see it. But they lived back in Albania, so they didn't really watch things like that as much i wish i was able to watch the twilight zone when it first aired i think i always think like i was born in the wrong era but um yeah i don't really have any memories associated with that because i don't know i i didn't get to watch it when it first aired now i will tell you about my first experience with it Um, My first experience watching it was in my psychology class in grade 11. Uh, My teacher actually showed us an episode called Eye of the Beholder uh, because we happened to be speaking about beauty and different perceptions of it and uh, what people perceived as beautiful might not be actually beautiful. So she showed us that episode and then from then on I just fell in love and then she kept showing us episodes and I think that just pushed me to like it more so yeah ever since that moment in grade 11 i think i've been hooked to the twilight zone um also i ended up discovering more shows like um old time radio suspense where it's like storytelling and it was like a uh, very alfred hitchcock inspired which is another uh favorite cin- cinematographer of mine he was i thought a genius I mean, anytime I watch his movies, I'm like, what the hell? Like, where is this guy coming from? He's like from Mars or something like that. Um, But no, um, some of the episodes in old time radio suspense are very Alfred Hitchcock-esque. 
I would say, and I absolutely love that. I'm obsessed with that too. And oftentimes when I'm at work, I'll even just like listen to the stories on old time radio suspense. And if you guys haven't heard of that, I definitely recommend you do. Um, the difference between that and everything we've talked about so far is that that's more like a radio show where you hear different ads and things like that. It's different. It's a different time, you know, so it's interesting to uh, get perspectives on that time. All right. Um, I'm just looking for some things to read here. Let's see this one. I told my daughter that I disapprove of her boyfriend and she needs to stop seeing him. He is not a good kid and she's too good for him. She hasn't broken up yet, so I'm planning to talk to his parents. Is there a better way I should handle this? I mean, first of all, like, why do you disapprove of him? What specifically makes him, makes him not a good kid? Um, or not a good influence on your daughter? Honestly, I don't think that intervening in your child's relationship is the way to get any point across i think you should um i have more of a discussion with her and tell her listen i understand you like this guy but you know he's not good for you for this specific reason i don't think it's your place to intervene and uh, go to speak to his parents about it to make them break up because regardless if they really like each other they're still going to end up being together and more than likely you're going to cause something to happen that you don't want happening so just remember if you're going to do something that there are consequences to your actions that you will have to deal with one way or another if you go and intervene in somebody else's relationship um I mean, I'm sure as a parent, like, you just want to protect your kids, but there's only so much you can do. All you can really do is sit them down and uh, give them your points of view and tell them why you disagree with something. But then you kind of have to let them go off on their own and learn from their own mistakes. Um, If you see that there is something that you need to intervene on, that's when you definitely do. But I think, honestly, you just need to trust that you have raised your child well enough to know um, what standards she should have as far as dating as far as um you know trusting her to do the right thing um and that's all i can say on that because again i'm not a parent myself but it's just the way i see it for my own upbringing and things like that um how often do people in medieval and early modern times die from cutting themselves while shaving and then getting infected i have no idea honestly (laughs) um I have no idea. I wish I could answer that. I don't really study things like that. I study more like how people communicated with one another in this time. Obviously, word of mouth and things like that. Um, let me see. Why do shows like Criminal Minds and Mindhunter exist when criminal profiling doesn't appear to work at all? I mean, who says it doesn't work? Right? Um, the thing is to get into somebody's head and to ask questions as to why, like what pushes them and motivates them to do the things that they do. Um, in my opinion, maybe they're not trying to do criminal profiling. Maybe they're just trying to get to know like why somebody who is a serial killer and has a fairly, I would say, normal upbringing. I mean, 
seldom do they have a, a normal upbringing because there's always something that triggers them to do it but i think the interesting part is figuring out why they were triggered to do that um what happened in their past that specifically made them take that path because you know it goes to the whole nature versus nurture theory you can have two twins raised in the same household one can go off to become like an honor student and you know become a football player somewhere and then the other can just go complete opposite direction antisocial um and then just go on to become a murderer or something like that and uh might just go into criminal activity and things like that so it's just interesting to figure out what makes somebody do that what pushes somebody to do that um, because somebody who may have had a normal upbringing i mean you would never think i mean what is a normal upbringing anyway right but you would never think that somebody who's been raised in a good home has good parents um support do something like that so i always just find it interesting to what makes somebody get to that point where they feel like this is the solution that they have to take into their hands um maybe they are not doing criminal profiling so the way i say it is though don't ask why do people do this why do people do that when it doesn't work you know like ask okay um why are they so interested in this maybe it does work or maybe they're trying to figure something out um, that could potentially help people to rehabilitate, if you can, a criminal and, you know, uh, put them into a community where they can be productive and they can um, do something better, you know? I don't personally believe in rehabilitating, obviously people who are rapists and things like that i don't know if you can rehabilitate those kinds of people i don't know if you can rehabilitate every criminal but maybe these are the steps that people are trying to move towards um maybe they're not just doing profiling maybe they're just trying to figure out like why people do the things they do i think it's always interesting i don't know i'm very like interested in the psychology behind serial killers and things like that i just really want to find out like what happened that made them get to that specific point in time anyway moving on from this dreadful topic um here's a good one should you try to stay together for the sake of your children or would it be better to divorce if you're in a miserable relationship guys i always say if you're in a relationship that's miserable you see no point to it i definitely think that you need to separate and um and um move on because if you're miserable it's gonna rub off on your kids you're more than likely arguing a lot you're more than likely doing a lot of fighting i don't see a point in bringing that into the environment with your kids there's no there's nothing to say that you can't still have a relationship after you know um it's i hate the question that people ask should you try to stay together for the sake of your children if you're miserable okay but how is that for the benefit of your children if you're miserable with somebody that's not going to benefit anyone you're unhappy your partner's unhappy your kids are going to be unhappy too because they see you fighting all the time they see you upset all the time so what do you mean should we stay together for the sake of our children 
I don't really see a point in that um, if you're suffering that much, you know? Like, just separate, be happy, and you can still have a relationship with this person, whether it's just friendly or whatever. Um, And then, you know, try to do the best you can for your kids. And I can guarantee your kids will still be happy with you if you're still trying to have a relationship with your partner that is friendly, at least, you know? Um, You don't have to stay together and be miserable to for your kids to be happy your kids can be perfectly happy with you guys just being apart and you know um your kids still being able to see both of you at the same time you know um i really don't like when parents are like oh i have to stay with him for my kids i'm so unhappy blah blah, blah. okay no then separate but you still have a relationship where both of you see your kids at the same time um, where you guys all spend time together so your kids don't really feel like there's uh, too much of a separation going on, you know? Um, I think that's perfectly normal. But anyway, moving on. Um, I'm just trying to find good ones because some of these are parenting ones because I subscribe to like some um, early childhood education um not forums topics here i would say um let's try to find some good questions Okay, here are some good ones because like I said, I'm very interested in education and um, I used to be a teacher myself, so I love anything that, um, you know, that has to do with kids and fostering an environment where they can learn and they can be healthy and uh, they can grow into healthy adults. So basically, the first question here, what are some of the hallmarks of a great daycare, not just one that meets the minimum standards? First of all, um, standards in different states and different cities are all different. I know that you have to follow all the standards that your city operates within, and every city daycare has to operate within those standards. If they don't, then you can actually um, report those types of daycares because they're supposed to be operating under specific standards okay so um basically some of the great hallmarks are um fostering environments where kids can initiate their own learning so things like emerging curriculum where kids are able to um um how do i say this kids are able to engage in their own learning Um, and what I mean by that is basically they're the ones who actually create the curriculum now I'm not saying kids are sitting there and creating their own curriculum I'm stating that with emerging curriculum what happens is if you see a child's interest is something specific like I don't know gardening or um maybe it's dinosaurs I keep talking about dinosaurs but maybe it's dinosaurs 
then you have to plan activities based on their interests right so kids um in a sense are involved in their own learning and i absolutely love that because i think they do have the right to make the decision about what they're interested in and they do have the right to also be involved in the process of their own learning so i think that's one of the most amazing hallmarks of a great daycare another one i would say is um obviously that allows children to problem solve if you've watched a secret life of a I think that environment, the specific environment, is amazing because it allows children to foster their own problem solving. Um, if you watch it, teachers are seldom involved in um, the process of problem solving. It's always kids who, you know, initiate initiate the solution. And I love environments like that because that's how you raise healthy adults who are not um, dependent on their parents for the rest of their life. Um, And I think that's a perfect example of a hallmark of a great daycare. I think all daycares need to take, uh, definitely take notes from that. Um, Something else. What do daycare workers do when they don't like a kid? It depends on the worker. I've seen people just not paying attention to kids. I've seen people just um, talking with their coworkers. Again, it goes under not paying attention to the kids. I've seen people um, become violent towards children, and of course I've had to report this. Um, All kinds of things. It just depends on the worker. But I always say if you're miserable in doing something, you should definitely not be doing that. Uh, What subtle signs do aging parents have that show they don't really like their adult children? about this I don't maybe they're um maybe they're less uh communicative with their kids I think I would say that's definitely a hallmark of that um but I don't really know uh, let's move on to the next question but guys I'm gonna take a quick break here and uh we'll get back after the quick little break talk to you guys soon we're back with the next part um i'm gonna answer a few more questions because this episode is slowly becoming the longest episode ever but um basically the next question i have here what's it like at a daycare center in the morning that all local schools are canceled because of inclement weather or conditions people like so i don't know sometimes i don't want me to be mean you know what i mean but like sometimes people act like 
anyone just can waltz into a daycare center and say here take my kid for the day because i can't take care of them uh no you actually have to be enrolled in the daycare center you can't just walk into any daycare center that you live nearby and say oh listen uh you know i need you to take kate to take care of my kids for the day um it doesn't work like that your kid actually has to be enrolled into the program there and sometimes the program is costly sometimes there's no room in the programs you know um so that that's just a little side note what's it like at a daycare center the morning that all local schools are canceled because of inclement weather or conditions um i mean i I don't know what you're implying that it would be busy uh because in my experience like it, it hasn't ever actually been busy at all like in my experience i've gotten sent home early because it's like been no kids in my classroom um and oftentimes what has happened while i've been at work is certain classes have been um joined together because of a lower amount of children in the um in the classroom often parents just stay home on those days and stay with their kids and uh yeah so i've never really experienced anything crazy that i can note um on days of inclement weather or conditions i would say it's relatively way less busy than a usual day um regular day at the daycare was like kids running around uh taking their jackets off like midway through the hallway um having kids like you know uh, crying in one room because we had infants um having kids in the washrooms you know changing some waiting outside in the hallways for their classmates to be done things like that but i've never experienced anything crazy on like bad weather days when there was really bad weather conditions i would say it's been relatively more quiet on those days than anything else like i said you can't just walk waltz into a daycare and say hey listen take care of my kids for the day because i have to go to work it doesn't work like that um it costs money for daycare workers to work cost money to operate the center cost money to um take care of children so you know you do have to be enrolled in those programs for uh people to take your kids and take care of them and you know it's not as simple as well because obviously kids have needs very specific needs and uh those needs have to be met uh i would say perfectly otherwise you know um there's a risk of getting shut down there's a risk of uh some sort of legal issues and things like that so just to not get into it kids do have to be enrolled into programs you can't just waltz in and say take care of my kids uh kids have different needs some kids are allergic to certain things some kids have certain illnesses that have to be looked after Uh, some kids have special needs and so you know you know the daycare needs to be able to take measures in a timely fashion so um yeah it doesn't work like that uh in any daycare that i've worked at because like i said every daycare operates by certain city standards and if they're not then they get shut down immediately so yeah you can't just waltz in uh, but the most i guess crazy thing that has happened has been extremely quiet and we've had only a few kids in the classroom on those specific days that the weather's been terrible um let's see what else these are all daycare questions because you know um i just happen to love childcare. 
What is the saddest thing you experienced working in a daycare? Mm, I can't really um, talk about it too much, but I had a child in my classroom who was getting abused and who was taking it out on other children. So I had to um, do a whole case on that. And uh, the same child was also not only getting abused, but they were being um, put on a diet. And I remember one day this child almost literally like fainted in the classroom because she had not had enough to eat. And guys, that's what I mean by saying like you shouldn't be putting your kids on diets and things like that. But like um, this girl almost passed out in the classroom and it wasn't until we gave her some uh, apple chips that we were able to get some color back into her and we were able to like, you know, almost revive her in a sense. But if we hadn't done that, I was... I, I don't know what would have happened we more than likely would have had to phone an ambulance or something like that so parents please do not put your kids on diets they're not meant to be on diets uh they're actually meant to eat a lot in their childhood um just make sure their meals are all balanced of course because they do burn off that energy very fast they're running all over the place they're you know doing things all day their little brains need um calorie calories and energy to function so don't worry about where your kids are eating um at four or five years old honestly what matters the most is that you give them a well-balanced diet well-balanced meals so that they can function because this girl was like literally ready to pass out and if we hadn't given her something like to eat that was a little bit fatty with a little bit of sugar in there she would have quite literally passed out on the floor um and yeah that would have been a very very bad situation but um basically that's it for that question moving on to the next one what is the best pizza in toronto okay best pizza i would say is blaze pizza i absolutely love blaze pizza um yeah that's it because you can build your own pizza and it's not that expensive it's like what 10 11 dollars for like a whole pizza to yourself um come on who wouldn't want that um so yeah i would say that's definitely the best pizza for me in toronto maybe i haven't tried all pizza restaurants if you guys know of any you know do let me know but i think that's definitely the best mm, let's see what else can we find here Just trying to find another question that is not that does not involve childcare because <laughs> I think that's all like I've been answering here. Um, you know what? Earlier I actually saw a question on my feed that asked um, what are some of the best Dominican uh, book authors. And I think one of my favorite Dominican authors from the Dominican Republic, and he was, well, he's living in New York, but he's from Dominican Republic. He's Juno Diaz. And I absolutely love his writing because it just uh, touches on all the experience that Dominican Americans have. And I think that's very important. You get a very um, raw lens into how Dominican Americans experience um, America first moving here and adjusting and assimilating to it and things like that um, it's just a very raw um, his all his pieces actually are just very raw and I think that's something that I 
love about him personally if you guys haven't read any of his books i think you definitely should some of my favorites are um this is how you lose her um and the adventurous life of oscar wow i think that's what the book is called and drown or negocios and all of those are amazing if you guys haven't read those i think you definitely definitely need to okay let's see what else is toronto losing its vibes i don't think so (laughs) i think there's always gonna be uh, a very distinct toronto vibe i don't think it's losing its vibes um let's see what is your no-go zone in greater toronto area i don't think i don't have i don't think i have a no-go zone i mean honestly i think i've been to every zone in toronto and um if you're talking about like which areas are more dangerous that you shouldn't go to literally that you can experience danger anywhere in toronto nowadays i feel like with a growing city you always have that issue of like more crime rate um more unemployment is also more crime rate because people you know need to find ways to make their money uh, sometimes it's more difficult than just saying hey go out there and get a job but yeah i do feel like people should take advantage of what the city provides of all the services like the employment um uh, agencies and things like that but at the same time sometimes it's not as simple so yeah i think that's definitely that definitely contributes to some of the crime rate but if you're talking about which zone is unsafe to go to i mean you have to consider the fact that like people live in those zones right so how unsafe can they be people day to day survive in those zones so i can easily say jane and finch but people live in jane and finch or i can easily say rexdale or whatever but people live there and they survive there every day so it's not like there's one specific zone that's a no-go zone no-go zone in uh the gta i just feel like every area is susceptible to danger and crime so i just feel like in general you just have to be careful about you know where you're at but i don't think there's uh any specific no-go zone in toronto okay let's see what else can we find here um What are the top five TV shows on Netflix right now? I don't really watch Netflix enough to know, to be honest. Um, guys, I think I've come to the end of that. Okay, what is something gone from Toronto that you miss the most? Um, I don't know. I don't think I'm missing anything from Toronto specifically. Um... I feel like Toronto's still the same. I feel like it still has the same vibe as when I first moved here in the year 2000. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't think I, anything has changed. Do you guys think anything has changed for all of you living in Toronto? Uh, what is something you miss the most that's gone now? Um, let's see. Mm. I saw a few here about Dominican Republic that I'm trying to find again. Mm-hmm. 
Well, one person asks, what are some of the things that people should know about Dominican Republic? Um, I honestly, nothing comes to mind right now. Like, my brain is fried. What do you guys think? Like, what what do you think are some things people should know about Dominican Republic? I think always when you're going to a new country, you should always try to get to know the culture of wherever you're visiting because I feel like it's rude to just go there and expect people to speak a specific language for you uh, and just leave what they know behind. But like, um, honestly, I just feel like things people should know in general are just to respect the locals and just do as the locals do and try to blend in as much as possible. That's how you stay out of trouble. But basically, one of the things I notice the most is people go there and people will be like, oh, this person doesn't even speak English. Yeah, because it's not an English-speaking country. It's a predominantly Spanish-speaking country. Do youth know English? Yes, they do, because they learn it in school. But it's not an English-speaking country. They're very much, um, even though they may be westernized, a little bit um that doesn't mean they should just leave spanish behind and just speak english just because you want them to um what you should be doing instead is learning spanish and then going over there and being prepared and being able to speak to the locals and behave like the locals do rather than expecting somebody to speak your language just you know and having that entitlement you're not entitled to anything that's not your country that's a different person's um culture and it's somebody else's country that you're going to so you need to be respectful and mindful of that and then learn to behave and speak like they do and maybe then you'll bet get a better understanding with locals and maybe you won't run into trouble or anything like that i always feel like people feel like they're entitled to everything and i don't think anybody is entitled or deserves anything i always hear people saying we deserve this we deserve that and i always have to step in and say no you don't deserve anything you earn things and you earn respect you don't deserve respect you um are not entitled to anything either so when it's not your country what you do have to do is respect who is living there and try to at least learn their language that's the minimum you can do when you're visiting somebody else's home you know nobody comes into your home and tells you how to run things and if they do, you're more than likely are going to tell them to leave and get the fuck out. So if somebody's going into your home and, you know, they're telling you how to speak and how to act and what to do, obviously you're not going to let them into your home again, right? So it's the same way when you're visiting somebody else's country, you are expected to at least do the minimum and learn the language so you can speak to them and communicate better so you don't run into trouble or you know your ass isn't complaining about mediocre shit and small ass details that don't even uh make or break anything there are certain people out there who don't even get to have a vacation and then people complain about the smallest things okay end rant right there <laughs> um guys it's the end of the episode if you want to hear more questions do let me know um i hope you have had a great listening i know it's been a really long episode i talk a lot but yeah i'll catch you in the next one bye